Come on, let's pray. God, thanks for your goodness to us. Thank you for the chance to be gathered as your people, to sing praises to your name, to open your word, to partake of your body and your blood, which was shed for us. God, you are so good. We are very often not. And so we just praise you for your work in us, your work in our church, your work in our city, our country, our world. I'm reminded just as we gather that you are seated on the throne room of heaven and your enemies are your footstool. And so we rest today, we Sabbath today together, we collectively cast our burdens to you and we receive your yoke for it is easy and we invite you to carry our load just like you promised. Would you help us to release it? We love you and it's in the strong name of Jesus that everybody said amen. I'm so glad you're at church today. Last week we talked about purpose. We talked about what your purpose is and that largely our purpose is the same For all of us, that we are all here, like John the Baptist, to make a straight path to the Lord. Now, how you carry that out, your calling can be different, right? You may rather die than stand on stage and speak about Jesus, but maybe you are a great doctor, a great teacher, a great student, a great whatever you fill in the blank, whatever it is that God has gifted and called you to do, your calling is different, your purpose remains the same. We are called to be that city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so we're that salt and light. And that's what we do. We make a path for Jesus in our circle. That's what we do. And if we're not doing that, we're not doing what we were made for. Super important. What's interesting is on the heels of last week's text, which was glorious and took us to some incredible mountain peaks theologically, Over the last two weeks, what's interesting on the heels of that is we immediately step right into two conversion stories. Find that very interesting that we immediately transition into how it impacts the average person walking around who hears John the Baptist say, behold, the Lamb of God. What does it look like in your calling for somebody to hear you say in whatever way that is, behold the Lamb of God. We, we immediately step into that. So I just, I want to read them with you and uh, jump right into John chapter one, starting in verse 35. And I want you, I want you to hear the flow of the story all the way through to 51. So stick with me. All right. Verse 35 says this, the next day, somebody lift up your voice and say the next day. All right, you tracking with me? This is not the day we talked about last week. This is the next day. Are you tracking with me? All right, back in school session here. All right, these details are important because we're we're seeing how this practically plays out. What are those glorious things like I am called to share Jesus with my people? Can I get an amen in church? And you're like, yeah, right? And then Monday happens. You're like, I don't know if I'm called (laughs) to share Jesus with my people, right? Because that's where it gets real. And so it's the next day. 
The emotions of John the Baptist seeing Jesus are gone. It's the next day. Okay. It says this, John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. So these are two people that John the Baptist led to the Lord. He's baptized them. They are his disciples. They go to his church. And then look what happens. So the next day, he's standing with these two people. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now listen, that may not seem like a big deal to you. You may be like, man, that's awesome. But if you're a pastor, that's not awesome. They left John's church to go to Jesus' church. That's what that says to me. And it's like, are we okay with people just getting to Jesus? It's a tough question. Tough question. Are, are, would you be okay if your neighbor, your mom, your brother, your whoever just got to Jesus, even if it was through someone else? I think we'd like to think so, but if you're anything like me, you're going to struggle with the reality of maybe God using somebody else to do what you were hoping that he would use you to do. Tough call. But here they are. They follow Jesus. Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following And said to them, if you have a paper Bible, if you're a real Christian, you should underline that right there. What are you seeking? It's an important question. Last week the question was, who are you? The follow-up question that Jesus has is, what are you seeking? We're going to unpack that today. He says, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? (laughs) What an interesting answer to the question. He said to them, come and you will see. If I could just tell you what ministry looks like in your life, what does it look like for you to share Jesus with your people is simply to invite them to do what Jesus just invited them to do. Come and see. Come and see as I follow Jesus, right? Paul would say to the people that looked up to him in Corinthians, he would say, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. What does it look like for somebody to come and see? It looks like you bringing them to the feet of Jesus. And so he says, come and see. Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Come and see. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Whoever Peter showed up was not who God had called him to be. And God changes his name on the spot. What a powerful moment. Verse 43. The next day. Lift up your voice and say, the next day. The next day, right? So now we're two days in. And Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. Are you seeing the pattern? Jesus is calling one person and the person he calls is calling another person. It is only natural for you to walk in your purpose if you are fulfilling your calling. 
It is all of our calling, no matter where we end up, no matter what we're doing, to be inviting others to the table. Always. It's the natural thing. Jesus says, follow me. They follow him. And what do they do? They find the next person and they say, come and see. Come and see. I love that. Philip from Bethsaida, city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael, said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And if in case you're wondering if this was just an awesome message that was like going to spread like wildfire because Jesus was awesome, listen to what Nathanael said in verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You might have the wrong person. If it came from Nazareth. Jesus never came here to fulfill our expectations. Oh, you didn't hear me. I didn't get any amens on that. I believe online I got some amens. <laughs> no, that that's in reality. That's really difficult. Jesus isn't here to fulfill our expectations. He's like a good father, right, who's going to do what's best for you. And sometimes what's best for you and what's best for me is to suffer. That's tough. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, what'd he say? <laughs> come and see. You don't have to defend Jesus. You just invite people to come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And other, you know, that sounds really great, but all that means is he was going to tell Jesus exactly what was on his mind. Right? And so here, here it comes. He says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And Nathanael said, How do you know me? <laughs> How do you know me? How do you know I have no deceit in me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What a moment that must have been for Nathanael to be seen. Maybe you walked in here today and you just don't feel like God sees you. You don't feel like God understands you. He feels distant to you. I love what Jesus says here. He said, Jesus answered him in verse 50, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe that's all it took? Right. In whom there's no deceit. He just blurted it out. That's all he needed. He just needed to know that Jesus saw him. But listen to what Jesus said. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open. And the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. What an awesome story. We don't have time to unpack all of the things that are here. I want to take a little bit more simple approach with you. And just simply notice that each conversion left and led to a subsequent conversion. Let me ask you a question, a diagnostic question. I like doing this because I think it helps us sink into the story and not just put on our theological hat, but to truly dive in. I want to ask you this question and I just 
answer it honestly in your heart. I have been all week and the answer was not as awesome as I thought it should be. And I just confess that to you. But here's the question. How excited are you to share Jesus with your people? Guys, I'll just be honest with you. I, I get more excited about all the other things happening in my life than I do about bringing people to Jesus. That's a problem. Isn't it? And so as you dig in here, it's, it's, we don't have time to go down this trail, but John points people to Jesus who are good followers and then they leave and John can fade into the background. So, some of the greatest Christians, some of the greatest preachers we know, people like Charles Spurgeon, we, we don't, we don't know the person that led them to Christ. Because God used them to usher that person into the spotlight and it was just okay that they faded into the background. So last week, the question that the leaders asked John the Baptist was, who are you? Your identity. You have to know who you are before you can know what you are supposed to do. Our answer from which we flow is this. I'm a child of the most high God purchased by his blood and redeemed and refreshed and sent on a mission to share him with the world around me. That's the right answer. But what does that Look like this week, Jesus is asking the important question. I want to land in it today with you for our time is this question. Did you catch it? He said, what are you seeking? Because what you're seeking will determine a lot of the times what you choose to do with your time. Critical. Critical. We, let me say it to you this way. We always have time for what's most important. We always have time. What are you seeking? I love what Henry Nouwen says about this. He says, as long, this will be on the screen for you, as long as we continue to live as if we are what we do, what we have, and what other people think about us, We will remain filled with judgments, opinions, evaluations, and condemnations. We'll remain addicted to putting people and things in their right place. Am I speaking anybody's language? (laughs) This is the world we live in. At every turn, this is where we are. Listen, stories of conversion come when people get honest about what they're seeking. And the truth is, most of the time I'm seeking what Henry just pointed out. Can't help it sometimes. But we, we, we have the, the tentacles of our culture. They're in us. They're wrapped around us. And oftentimes we don't even see it. And so Jesus here is asking us he's given us the opportunity he's inviting us into a conversation about being honest about what we're seeking once you know who and whose you are the natural question that follows is to figure out what you're looking for what are you looking for in life where are you headed and if you've never thought about that it's time it's time maybe you used to think about that (laughs) Maybe you used to think about that and we, you maybe just haven't been thinking about that. But it matters because if you never set the destination of where you're going, you don't know where you're going to end up. If you just get in the car and start driving, that's ridiculous. Right? Unless you've got a cool car and you're going for a Sunday drive. That's totally fine. 
But what's your destination in that scenario? To come back home eventually, right? You still have a destination. So what I'm asking you is when you look at your life, if, if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know what you're seeking, you're going to end up somewhere, but it won't, won't be what God called you to be. It'll be what the world wants you to be. It'll be what you want it to be. It'll be what I want it to be. That's not a great place to be. That doesn't lead to happiness and freedom. That leads to slavery and unhappiness. It leads to the things of the flesh instead of the things of the spirit. And so we have to answer that question because if we don't answer the question, the world will. And then the world will send you hurtling towards it, which is never safe. Our purpose is the same to reveal Jesus to those around us. Our calling is unique. We're not building a holy huddle here. Right? We celebrate, we gather, we pour into each other, we sharpen each other, we disciple each other, we do all of those things to go. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. Right? That wasn't written to pastors, that was written to Christians. You're just melon what I'm stepping in. Just seeing if you're with me. I love what. Raymond Brown writes in his commentary on John about this question. What are you seeking? He writes this. It'll be on the screen for you as well. He says, this question touches on the basic need of man. Think mankind, not just one man, but humanity. That causes him to turn to God. There, there is a basic need that causes us to turn to God. Man wishes to stay with God. He's constantly seeking to escape temporality, change, and death. Seeking to find something that is lasting. That resonates with us because we chase all the things that are in the world and they just never deliver. They just never deliver on their promise. If you just get that promotion, if you just get your kids to do that or achieve that or whatever it is. For you, if you get that grade, if you get that performance, if you get that job, I don't know what it is for you, but we all have the vices. We all have them, every single one of us. But we seek something that is lasting. And so when I think about that as a pastor, what am, what am I trying to get you to? What does discipleship look like at Redeemer City Church? What are, what are we after? If I could boil it down, like I have zero, zero interest in Fulfilling your social calendar. I think you're fine at that. I think you're doing a great job. But if I could tell you, like if there were five things, if I could just download to all of us, myself included, because I don't have these five things down. But if I, if I could just look like, what, is, what does it look like for me to be abiding in Christ and be ready to go share that with somebody else? What does that look like? If I could just give you five things, they'll be on the screen for you. Five pillars of your life. It would be this. Read your Bible daily. Starts there. How will you ever know what is true and right and good if you don't listen? The Bible says be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's not just with literal people around you. It's to the Lord. Read your Bible daily. Pray without ceasing. How's that going? Is your first response to prayer, is that only a January thing? Be in a city group. You have to be in community. And if it's not a city group, where are you getting that from? Who's sharpening you as a Christian? 
Give generously and serve joyfully. Why? Because if we don't give generously, our money gets a hold of our heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. He didn't say, let's figure out where your heart is and then we'll put the money there. That's not what he said. (laughs) Right? We give to the church, we give to good causes because it removes our heart from our money. Right? So important. And then we serve joyfully because the Bible says it's better to give than receive. It's better to serve. Right? It's better to give your life. In fact, Jesus says it this way. If you'll lay down your life, you'll find it. It's the counterintuitive nature of the gospel. And so the question is, like, am I doing those five things? Are we all doing those five things when we walk into this place? Because if we're not, that means we're seeking something else. Right? I'm not telling you anything new. It's just we like I needed that reminder this week. Like as John steps in and says, behold, the Lamb of God. The people following John were like, boom, that's it. And they follow Jesus. Jesus walks up to Philip and says, follow me. And he's follow Jesus. They didn't get everything right. In fact, you keep reading and we will. We're going to go through the whole book like they do some dumb things, some really dumb things. But they were following Jesus. And when they did dumb things, they got corrected. They got scolded a few times by Jesus. But man, by the time he was done discipling them and he ascended back into heaven, we're literally sitting here today because they were on fire telling people about Jesus. Come and see. Come and see. Church from the beginning, from its origin story, is fairly simple. It's a lot of things that flow out of it, but at the end of the day, it's a gathering of people who then go tell other people about Jesus. If you look back in Acts, it says they shared all things. They gathered together in the temple and in homes, and they had everything in common, and they told more people. It says that the, the that hundreds, sometimes thousands, were added to their number. We're so prone to be fooled by our own selves, aren't we? I mean, I think about Jeremiah seventeen nine, which says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. What a statement. Desperately sick. Like, what gives me the authority to say sometimes we seek different things? That verse... <laughs> My heart's desperately sick. I think about a lot of things all week and a lot of them have to do with me. And I think you would understand my sentiment. It's tough. And so, some of them are real. Some of them are health things that I can't even control. Right? And some of you are in that place. Some of them are just external factors that frankly become idolatry and sin. And so... I'm inviting you to ask yourself the question, what am I seeking with my life? What am I seeking? Because when you and I walked into this gathering, depending on what we are seeking, will affect what we see here, won't it? If I'm seeking a certain meal and I step into a restaurant and they don't deliver on that promise, I'm disappointed, right? So when you step into church, if you're not seeking the Lord, I have news for you. You're going to be disappointed by me to start with. I can't play that role in your life. 
The people in your city group can't play that role in your life. What we can do is bear each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians says. Right? We got to give each other a whole lot more grace, don't we? We do. And so, what are you seeking? I love what Raymond Brown said and what Henry Nouwen's saying because, like, when, when we're looking for something that's lasting and we're not finding it in the world, we are drawn back to Jesus, the only one who is not prone to the shifting seas and sands of our culture, aren't we? It draws us back in, sometimes with our tail tucked between our legs because we haven't been following. But he's the constant for all of time. He is, as Hebrews 6 tells us, the anchor for our soul. Right? There's a next level of what you're anchoring yourself to. There's a next level of what you're seeking, isn't there? No, no, I don't need something that will make things better right here and right now. I need something that's going to make it better at a soul level. I need that kind of anchor. What are you seeking is followed twice in our text by the invitation to come and see. To seek, to see is to look, to search, to wonder, to inquire, to be curious, to desire. To come is to follow. Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel only have those emotions to run off of. They haven't seen him do anything yet. He simply told them who they were. He told Peter who he was and then said, follow me. He told Nathaniel, I see you. Follow me. And their confession and response was, you are the son of God. Powerful. They follow And so today, we come and see. We come and see. We respond to Jesus' invitation to join him. To taste and see that he is good. And he gave us the way to do that. Before we step into the communion table, I want you to think about this that C.S. Lewis said. As you think about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. It'll be on screen for you. He who has God... And everything else has no more than he who only has God. Listen, if I was to go around and talk to every single one of you, you would all have wildly different weeks this week. You would all have wildly different origin stories. You would have wildly different faith stories. Some of you may be homeless. Some of you may be affluent and everywhere in between. Some of you may be in pain, some of you may be hurting, some of you may be in depression, some of you may be elated because of all that God's doing. No matter where you are in that continuum, as long as you have God, you have as much as anybody else. And so when we step to the communion table, when we hold the elements in our hands and we partake of his body and his blood and participate with him in that place, we are all rich Because he is the point. I say all of that to get you to the point where you say, this is the point. (laughs) When you hold what appears to be just a weird little wafer and a little bit of juice. And you struggle to get the top off. Because they're awful. But COVID. The real one's coming back soon, I promise. We just got to use up this stuff. 
think about it. When you hold those in your hands, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening when you hold that wafer and that juice? What's happening? What's happening is what 1 Corinthians 10.14 says when Paul's writing to this group of churches that he loves and he says this, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. What's the first thing that happens when you come to the communion table? You forsake all other gods. You repent. You turn. You make relationships right. You send text messages. You lean over and kiss your bride or your significant other. And you just say, hey, like this is the point, not whatever point I was trying to make. That's where we come to. We forsake all other gods. We flee idolatry. I love that. Flee. Doesn't matter how you feel. Flee. Doesn't matter if you were right. Flee. Doesn't matter what you want. Because remember, your heart's desperately sick. We come to the communion table knowing I am desperately sick. Flee idolatry. Verse 15. I speak to sensible people. I do too. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? That's what's happening. That's what's happening when you hold that wafer and you hold that juice. There's more happening than wafer. You're participating with Jesus. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Why? Because there is one loaf, Jesus. We who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. That's what's happening when we do this together. Can I get an amen in church? That was a great place to say amen. Because we all come to the table beggars. We don't bring a single thing to this table. At this table, every single one of us is uniquely laid flat and bare. Needing the participation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in your life and mine. We don't bring any of our...